0: Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, where we're going to continue in our study of Simon, Peter, and me. And as you remember, we have not only looked at the introduction, how he came to meet the Lord and the Lord met him, we also saw Simon Peter as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yesterday morning, we began looking at A series of seven questions asked by by Simon Peter. Again, we're gaining all the benefit without any of the embarrassment because Simon Peter asked questions that I wish I had asked, but I would have been too embarrassed. I'm so glad he wasn't afraid. Good old foot in your mouth, Simon Peter. And he was not afraid to ask the questions and get the answers. The last question, the first question we looked at yesterday was, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then the last question we looked at yesterday was, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Well, this morning we're going to look at questions number three and four. The third question is this, Lord, do you speak this parable to us only? or to all people. Look, if you will, now in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. We'll read the parable first, and then we'll read his question again. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 says, "'Let your waist be girded, and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Verse 37 Blessed are those servants whom the Master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Verse 39 But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 41 is the question Simon Peter asked. He said in verse 41, Lord, Do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And we'll trust that the Lord will not only help us to understand this passage of Scripture, but will answer that question for all of us. Let's pray. Our Father, how thankful we are that Simon Peter asked the questions that we need to know the answers to. And as we look at these questions today, Lord, we pray that you would not only solve all our problems, but answer all our questions Give us insight and understanding by Your Spirit's illuminating power and help. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the first parable starts out with, Let your waist be girded. I'd like to make a good suggestion for all of us here. I think that we should all join Weight Watchers. Now, I don't mean Weight Watchers the diet plan. I mean Weight Watchers those who are waiting and watching for the Lord to come. Because that's what these two parables are about. In fact, the very first of the parables speaks of the readiness of waiting, and then the blessedness of watching. Look at the readiness of waiting. It's the idea of, of serving with an attitude of expectancy for the Lord has promised He would come again. And the The setting for the first parable is really in a wedding setting of the bridegroom who is coming. I'm picking up right where Keith left off because he mentioned the Lord's coming. And here we are looking at a parable all about His coming, but it's looking at our lives as to whether or not we're ready, waiting, and watching. And so the very first part, the readiness of waiting, he gives us three areas to look at our lives to say that we're ready, we're waiting for the Lord to come. And the first one is let your waist be girded. That's a terrible thing to talk about after all the good food we're enjoying these days at Yosemite. But it is the idea of discipline. And it gets harder and harder, doesn't it, to discipline our lives to say, now, I don't want to be... I don't want to be sloppy in my lifestyle, spiritually speaking, the same way that we're called to discipline ourselves in our physical lives. And so he he uses that expression, let your waist be girded. In other words, uh, pull the tightness together so that we have lives that are not loose and hanging, but rather girded up in our loins, ready, waiting for the Lord to come. Secondly, He says, let your lamps be burning. So one area is dealing with discipline. The lamps be burning is dealing with the testimony. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so our lamps are to be burning brightly till the Lord Jesus comes. But then there's a third area. Not only your waist girded, your lamps burning, but look at verse 36. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. I'm going to call this, let your hearts be yearning, yearning for him to come. Are we, do we have a longing for the Lord to come? Now, it's been a privilege to serve the Lord on the foreign mission field in Africa, where life is really tough. And in the 10 years we served there, the one thing I noticed about the hearts of the African people is they had a yearning for the Lord's coming. I mean, they cannot wait till He comes again. If you were to say to an audience in Africa, the Lord is coming again, you'd hear a thunderous response. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. When you speak on the Lord's coming in this part of the world, the general response is, you think? You think it's close? Could it be soon? And we approach it in a completely different way. We're comfortable here in this world, aren't we? And so the God, the God who has promised His Son is coming calls us to have a readiness, a waiting for the Lord to come. The discipline of our lives, the outshining of our testimony, our hearts should be yearning, and if they're not, ask the Lord to give you that desire that we would have a tiptoe expectancy that in any moment, He who is coming will indeed come and will not tarry. I thought there'd be more than that. <laughs> the Lord is coming, and we're waiting for Him. And not only the readiness of waiting, but you'll notice it says that there'll be waiting for Him, that when He comes and knocks, look at it they may open to him immediately without any hesitation whatsoever. Now, that's the readiness of waiting. But look in verse 37. There's the blessedness of watching. And that blessedness of watching tells us something about it. In verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching, and look what he does for them. I tell you, this is an amazing parable as it pictures the Lord Jesus, showing how much favor He will find to those who are watching and waiting for Him to come. We don't want to be ashamed at His coming. We want to be ready and welcoming to open wide to Him, to be glad to go to meet the Lord in the air. Like one southern preacher said, when the Lord calls me, when He comes again, He won't have to call me twice. I'm ready to go. And so, look what He will do. Assuredly, this is in the middle of verse 37, assuredly I say to you that He will gird Himself. You mean the master's going to gird Himself? That's exactly what He says in this parable. And have them sit down, those servants who are waiting for Him, He's going to seat them, and He's going to serve them out of gratefulness that Every man will receive praise from God, is what Paul says concerning the judgment seat of Christ. That he's going to give the happy blessing for all those servants who are waiting and watching for him to come. So, if we want to wait and watch for him to come, when's he going to come? Well, that's the third thing he tells us about the time of his coming. And this is really what the teaching is. If you'll notice in verse 38, And if he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. In other words, we don't know when he's coming. But the point of the parable is simply this. Be ready, for the Lord will come at an hour you do not know. It may be at morn, when the day is awaking, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world His own. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long. We're looking forward to His coming. We're waiting. We're watching. Are we ready? Well, He adds another parable just to drive home the point. It's not a wedding parable, but now you'll notice in verse 39 and 40, the reinforcement of His point of being ready is the parable of a thief. And the master of the house. And he says in verse 39 But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come. Now that's amazing, isn't it? To think about the Lord coming like a thief in the night. Who would ever call the Lord a thief? I tell you what, when he comes like a thief in the night, he's going to make up his jewels, Malachi tells us, and he's going to carry us off safely back into the Father's house will meet the Lord in the air, and there he's going to make off with his jewels, just like a thief in the night. Now, if the master knew at what hour he was coming, he would have been ready, it tells us, and then he gives the point of the parable, the warning in verse 40, therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's all about the Lord's coming. And Simon Peter asked a question. I believe this question is a question that Christians need to ask today and hear the answer to as never before. Especially in our testimony among the assemblies of God's people who have seemed to have lost our grip, lost the anticipation, the expectancy of living in light of the Lord's coming. Even among the assemblies... There have been places I've spoken before, and they've said, you know, we'd rather you not speak on the Lord's coming. There's a little confusion here. I said, well, why not clear it up? <laughs> you know, we can only believe what the Bible says. I know there can be some confusion. I remember when I first trusted the Lord as my Savior, I wanted to know all about the Lord's coming, and somebody gave me a big book by Dwight Pentecost. Now, it's a very good teaching source and resource, But by the time I got done, I wasn't sure if I was pre, mid, post or what. I met somebody who told me they were pan-millennial. And I said, I don't remember that in my list. They said, it's all going to pan out in the end. (laughs) You know what I said? I said, I don't want something that pans out in the end. I want to know what it says now. And so I set aside that good resource and I started reading the Bible. And you know, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus is coming again and he's coming quickly. And I believe he's coming soon. And while I can't prove that, I want to live in light that he's going to come in my lifetime. Somebody said, yeah, but Paul thought he was coming in his lifetime too. All the more reason to think that he might come in mine. And if I die waiting for him, I'm not going to be disappointed. In fact, if I die waiting for him, I'm going to experience something others may not ever experience. If you're in the generation that when he comes again, you take one step from earth and the next step up into the air and into glory. If I die before he comes, I'm going to enjoy his presence through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm not going to miss the rapture. In fact, I'll go first. That's a good way to look at it, isn't it? We're not going to miss it. But here's the question, verse 41, then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? That's really the question, isn't it? Is this just a secret message that's only for believers? Or is it for everyone? That's a pretty good question, wouldn't you say? Because a lot of times we try to hold that information back from the world because of some of the wackos lately that have sold all their stuff, moved up on a mountain, stayed in a little commune saying the Lord is coming at 10 o'clock in the morning on October 12th. And when He didn't come, well, they said we were off in our calculation just a little bit, and so we're going to set another date later. We understand because of all the strange things and the things that have brought reproach or dishonor on the truth of the Lord's coming that sometimes we hold back so that someone won't confuse us with all the wackos out there. But I want to tell you, make no mistake about it, He's coming again. And when He comes, He'll have no hesitation calling those who know Him up out of this world. There'll be millions, we hope billions, missing when the Lord takes His church out of this world. The evil one is going to spread all kinds of delusion. And those in this world, as one said, when the rapture occurs, they won't wonder where we're at. They'll just say, good riddance to bad rubbish. But our part right now in answer to Simon Peter's question is, what do we do with the truth of the Lord's coming? Do we hold it only for ourselves or is it for all people? I'm going to tell you the Lord's answer in a moment. And I almost could like to take a vote on this to see what you think. But I believe with all my heart that we're to make the whole truth known. That what he says, we can say. In 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins, was buried. The third day he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. He appeared to his own, up to 500 brethren at one time. Do you realize that in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by the time you get to the end, he's completely explained what's going to take place in the rapture, that in a moment, in the twinkling of of an eye, the dead in Christ will rise, and we which are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. That's good news, isn't it? But the world doesn't see it as good news. So should we tell them or not? Now, there's a long answer to the question in the Gospel of Luke. I want to take you to the short answer, if you don't mind. Turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And in Mark, chapter 13, it's the same question, the same parables, and the same answer, but it's in a short, concise form. And it's Mark, chapter 13, verse 37. And here's his answer. Mark thirteen thirty seven, And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Well, that's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? So when you talk with someone, don't be afraid to tell them that the Lord is coming. The world is on the very threshold of utter chaos and destruction. And if we don't warn them of His coming... They won't be ready when He comes again. There's only one escape out of the destruction of this world. And that escape has been provided for us. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins. Only by trusting Him can they escape the coming judgment. And there's only that one way of escape. But if they don't know that judgment's coming, will they even see their need for escape? Now, the world doesn't understand, but when I grew up, we understood enough to be afraid. My boyhood friends and I talked about the Lord's coming all the time. And sometimes we'd be out on the playground as boys, and we'd hear our parents calling us home for supper, and we'd see the sun going down and a red glow on the earth, and we'd start talking about the Lord's coming. I was afraid that the earth had already started burning. and scared to death because I had heard about the judgment of the Lord's coming. Now, it won't be that way for the rapture, but it will be when the Lord judges this world in righteousness. It's all going to burn. But the rapture, you know, people don't even know what the rapture is anymore, do they? Sometimes if you mention the rapture, they think you said rupture, and they look horrified. Now, I don't go to movies. I just rent DVDs. But I did see advertised in the movies a movie entitled The Apocalypse. I thought, well, this might be interesting. So I started reading the description of the movie. I said, no, that won't be it. You know, the apocalypse means the revealing. I knew that they were really confused when I saw the next movie come out a couple years later called Apocalypse (laughs) 2. The world is so confused. Shouldn't we tell them the truth of it? Do you speak this parable only to us of the Lord's coming? Or do you speak to all people? And the answer is, what I say to you, I say to all. And the watchword is this, watch, for you know not what hour the Lord is coming. I'm glad for that, aren't you? But the second question we have to look at today is also in the Gospels, and it's the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. Please turn there, please. Matthew 19. We're going to start in verse 16, but the question is going to be found in verse 27. And the question that Simon Peter asks has to do with the Lord's coming. That in the resurrection, or when we get to heaven, what will we get if we have lived in light of His coming? If we have left all and forsaken all to follow the Lord, what will we get? That's the question that Simon Peter asked. I would have been embarrassed to ask that question. Not Simon Peter. Simon Peter and me and you, we're going to get the lesson today because, look, if you will, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it tells us of a man who came to Christ, and we simply read this, starting in verse 16... Now behold, Matthew 19, 16, Now behold, one came, came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, They were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now verse 27, Then then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. What shall we have? I would have been embarrassed to ask the question. I'm so glad, he asked. Now, you know the story. It was a rich man. It was a young man. It was a powerful man. He had it all. Or did it have him? The young and restless, the rich and famous. Listen, there are dangers in what this world has to offer. And this man who had it all was really in a sad situation because all that he had, had him. And when he asked, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord Jesus, he asked him how he read the law, the commandments. Keep the commandments. Now, our brother Keith developed a lot, didn't he, on the law and the purpose of it. But when the Lord answered him of some of the commandments, his response was, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. But you notice he had some conviction in his heart. Because he knew there was something he was still lacking. Why was he lacking something? Well, because you and I both know that no one can keep all the commandments. There is none that does righteousness, not even one. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 2.10 says, if you keep all the commandments, but break it in one point, you become guilty of what? All. Now, Using the law, the commandments in this way, is a lawful thing, isn't it? Because the law was not given to believers. It was given to convict the world of our unrighteousness and to show the world His righteousness. I remember going to witness with one of the deacons in the assembly. And since he knew the young lady we were talking to, I said, Bob, you take the lead and I'll follow you. I'll be praying while you speak. And so he talked to Alice and he said, Alice, he said, I just want to ask you first... Are you a Christian? I thought, oh, man, that is not the way to start a witness. Because 99% of the people you ask that question to are going to say, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And then the rest of the conversation, you're going to be proving them wrong or a liar, right? But that's the way he started. And he said, well, that's great, Alice. When she said, of course, I am. I try to be. He said, so how are you trying to be? And she said, by keeping the commandments. Now, I thought it was going downhill, so I started praying silently, and Bob said, well, that's very good. Now, I'm starting to look at Bob, wondering, and he said, "Uh, you're keeping the commandments to be a Christian. He said, that's great. He said, what's number seven? And Alice said, "Uh, I don't know number seven. He said, well, anybody can forget commandment number seven. He said, how about number three? And she said, I don't know number three either. About that time, I'm really getting scared. I'm I'm afraid he's going to say, Rex, you tell her what number seven, number three are. (laughs) Because I wasn't sure either. And, you know, he masterfully took her through the commandments and showed her she wasn't a Christian. And in gentleness and carefulness, he led her to Christ. And we rejoiced. And then afterwards, I said, Bob, you had me sweating. I was afraid you were going to ask me what number seven, number three were. He said, oh, you don't know? I said, no, I don't. He said, I'm bringing my grandchildren over tonight after the Bible study. They'll show you. I said, really? He said, they'll give it to you head to toe, Ten Commandments. I've never forgot it. And so they stood up before me that night, two little girls, and they said, Mr. Rex, the Ten Commandments from head to toe, you can follow it carefully. He said, they said, your head first. Is it just one head? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then your eyes, next. No graven image. And then your mouth, next. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then your chin. You know how you rest your chin when you're tired? I see a couple people doing it here. (laughs) Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. In it you're going to rest. And then your two shoulders. Honor your father and your mother. And then your throat thou shalt not kill. Hmm? And then to your heart, thou shalt not commit adultery. And this is all in perfect order, head to toe, because it's from the heart that adultery proceeds, isn't it? And then from there to your hands, thou shalt not steal. And then to your legs, thou shalt not bear, like they bear up your body, false witness. And then your feet, thou shalt not covet, they said. I said, now, wait a minute. I got it head to toe all the way down to your feet, but how does feet have anything to do with coveting? They said, Mr. Rex, don't you know that the Bible says thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, nor anything your neighbor has? You've got to use your feet to go to your neighbor's house (laughs) and head to toe all the way down the Ten Commandments. Listen, you can name them all in order. If you break one, you've broken them all. And the man went away sorrowful. And the Lord said, children, to the disciples, because he takes this illustration and tells the disciples that it's hard, and he uses an impossible illustration for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. And it says that the disciples, first of all, were astonished, and then it says they were astonished beyond measure, and they said, Who then can be saved? Because they thought anybody rich had the blessing of God on their life, and they were a shoe in for heaven. Not so. The Bible says it's impossible with man. What is the point? Well the point is made very clear and I want to give you that point so there's no uh, doubt whatsoever about it but look if you will in verse 23 because the Lord said how hard it is assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven again it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle what is the key? Well the whole matter comes down to trust. In the gospel of Mark chapter 10 verse 24, this is what it says, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's a matter of what we're trusting. No matter how much you have, do not trust in riches. No matter how much you do, you cannot trust in what you do nor what you have. It's only by God's grace. And the Lord said to this rich young ruler, Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross, follow me, you'll have riches in heaven. And about that time, verse 27, Simon Peter says, Lord, we've left it all and followed you. What are we going to have? Is the Lord any man's debtor? Now, we're not saved by anything we do or anything we give. Please don't make any mistake about that. It's all by His grace. After we're saved, we can invest our life, our energy, what He's blessed us with, in eternity and reap the benefits that will last forever. God will reward everything that's done for His glory. Eternal life is given to us as a free gift, but rewards are given for what we do with what He's given to us freely. And Simon Peter wants to know, what are we going to get? Will it be worth it if we live for Him in light of His coming? You can count on it. You can bank on it. In fact, here's what the Lord says. In verse 28, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that the in the gent- regeneration... When the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, that's not for you and me. That's for them. But look at verse 29. And everyone, that's you and Me, who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, houses as well, in one gospel, for My name's sake shall receive. Are you ready for this? a hundredfold, and inherit everlasting life. One of the other gospels says, in this life and in the one to come. And some people don't believe it. Now, I'm not talking about a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel here. I'm talking about a God who is true to His Word. That says, anything given, even a cup of cold water given in His name, will not lose its reward. Even a cup of cold water given in a disciple's name will be rewarded. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I found it true. Whoever gives up, brothers or sisters, I've got one brother and one sister. I'm following the Lord, and look what God has given to me. All you brothers and all you sisters. That's more than a hundredfold. I've got one mother, but the Bible says if you leave your mother to follow the Lord, He'll give you a hundredfold mothers. I've got so many mothers, I'm almost smothered. And fathers. In the family of God, it's wonderful. How about houses or lands? You know, we've traveled a little bit, not only in the U.S., but in other places. And places I've gone, they've said, anytime you're coming through here, you don't even need to call. My house is your house. And the great thing is, after I stay there, I don't even have to change the bed. Or wash the linens, or pay the taxes. <laughs> Do you know I found there's something better than having a boat? Having a beloved brother who has a boat. <laughs> huh? That's not bad, is it? And there are places we go that everything is shared openly and freely. We were told coming to the conference don't bring any food to the conference. <laughs> Well, I talk about a hundredfold. I think this Yosemite air makes your clothes shrink a little bit. I got to go back to girding the waist where I started now. You get the idea, don't you? God is going to reward richly anyone who follows him. Don't be like the rich young ruler who wanted to hold on to it all. He was living for here and now instead of there and then. He's coming back again. What we keep, we lose forever. What we lose, we keep forever. You can't take it with you, they say, but you can send it on ahead. And it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Him. One look on His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So let us run the race till we see Christ. He's coming again. Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Lord, we've left it all. What will we get? He'll make it up to you a hundredfold, and you can count on his word and his faithfulness. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, once again, we thank and praise you for your wonderful word. We pray that you would help us to understand it, help us to act upon it, and not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of Your Word, we pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.